Welcome, friends. Pastor Matt Acorn here with you today. Thanks again for joining our podcast, Building Lives, which is a ministry of Eckerd Baptist Church. I want to pick up with part two of our short series entitled The Road to Spiritual Success. In our last podcast, I answered the question, what is spiritual success? And today, I want us to focus our attention on the indicator lights for spiritual success. There are indicators in our everyday lives that we need to pay attention to. They are indicators that help us to know what is wrong, what needs attention, what action I need to take, and maybe what needs replaced. For example, when you get in your vehicle and you put your key in the ignition and you turn it and there's some lights that come on and you start the car and there's some indicator lights that may pop up. One of those may be that there's low tire pressure in one of your tires and you need to put some air in it. Maybe your battery is uh, losing its charge and there's a dead cell and you need to replace the battery. Maybe there's a door that's been jarred open or is still open and needs to be closed before you start to drive your vehicle. So these are indicators that are for our own benefit, and they really help us to know, again, what needs attention and what I need to do to to fix it because that light is on. Indicators are important in our spiritual lives as well. There are several indicators that will confirm or deny that I'm on the road to spiritual success. And that's what we're striving for. What are the indicators in my own life that keep me and put me on the road to spiritual success? The first indicator I want to look at today is the indicator light of genuine salvation. In the Gospel of Matthew, in chapter 5, we have Jesus giving a sermon. It's actually chapter 5, 6, and 7. And in these first 10 verses of chapter 5, we refer to this as the Beatitudes of Jesus. He begins each statement, beginning in verse 3, with, Blessed are the poor in spirit. He goes all the way through verse 10. The Beatitudes, all part of his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. This first indicator I want to talk about today, the indicator of genuine salvation, really is pronounced for us in verse 3 of chapter 5, because this is where the journey begins. This is the starting point. You see, a person can be religiously active and not spiritually successful. As a reminder from our last podcast, a person can only be spiritually successful if he or she is in Christ Jesus. So in Matthew chapter 5, this first beatitude that Jesus gives, he's speaking to an audience. There's his disciples, there's followers, his followers, there's the religious leaders who are kind of standing on the outskirts of, so they can hear his voice and listen to what he has to say and then be able to argue with him, if you will. But he says in verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, that first phrase, blessed are the poor in spirit. The word poor that's being used here in the Greek, it comes from a verb that means to shrink or to cover, to cringe like a beggar would do. It was used in the classical Greek for a person who was destitute. The person was crouched in a corner begging with one hand out and one hand over his face to shield his identity, his embarrassment. You can picture this with me. 
you're out and you see this homeless person, this beggar who's sitting there and they're kind of crouched up together and, and they have their hand out and they have their other arm and their head kind of lodged between their legs. They don't want you to see their face, but yet they have their hand out. They, they don't want you to see who they are because they're too embarrassed. They don't want you to see their identity, but they also need something, so they have their hand out. That's the picture of poor that Jesus uses here in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3. Poor in spirit. When you think about that, that really helps us to understand who we are before Christ. In other words, I see myself for who I really am. If I am poor in spirit, that means I'm lost, I'm hopeless, I'm helpless, I'm ashamed, I'm desperate, I'm spiritually bankrupt. One heard one word that would really summarize that would be the word humble, uh, humility. And obviously the opposite of that word would be self-righteous, self-confident, haughty, proud. Let me speak a little bit about humility and this idea of poor in spirit. Humility is the foundation of all other graces. As you read through the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 10, there is a logical progression here. Jesus begins with this one, the poor in spirit. You see, a blessed life starts with humility, A blessed life starts with humility. A blessed life starts with understanding that I am lost, I am hopeless, I am helpless, I am ashamed, I am desperate, I am spiritually bankrupt. That's where it starts. Prideful people will not enter the kingdom. Now, this is in stark contrast to the philosophy of the world. The secular worldview is all about me. It's all about myself. It's all about I. It's about success. It's about getting to the top. It's about having the most toys. It's about being number one. And if I'm not number one, how can I become number one? That's the secular worldview. Unfortunately, that secular worldview has made its bed in the church today. And I say that because there's evidence of that in the church in America today. There is little emphasis in the church in America today of self-emptying. The, the message of selling out to Jesus, real, literally, it, it just doesn't sell in the church today. We are so consumed with a humanistic philosophy. It's all about me, 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 me. Think about it. When's the last time you heard a challenge in church from the pulpit to deny self, to take up the cross and follow me? We just don't hear it. There's a tremendous effort among Christians in the church today to push the practice of self-help, the idea that you can become a better person, the idea that, that you got this. And what has happened is that preaching is being replaced with psychology. Doctrine of God's word is being replaced with mental therapy. The proclamation of God's word is being replaced with motivational speeches. And when that happens, we're only dealing with the symptoms and we're not dealing with the real problem. 
If I have a medical issue and I go to my doctor and the doctor says, I'm going to give you this medicine, it's going to make you feel better. It's not going to cure you, but it'll make you feel better. In that case, the doctor's giving me a medicine that's only dealing with the symptoms of my problem, to take away the pain, to take away the symptom, but it's not dealing with the real problem. And see, in the church today, we're missing that. Because humility is the foundation of all other graces. But humility is a necessary divine work of God to make me see that I am unworthy. God brings me to a place of spiritual poverty and allows and causes me to see that I am nothing without Him. I recognize my spiritual poverty apart from God. No matter what my education, no matter what my social status, no matter what the tax bracket I may fall into, no matter my accomplishments, my religious activities, apart from Jesus Christ, I am nothing. Jesus, when he came to this earth as God in the flesh, Emmanuel, he yielded everything about his earthly life to the Father. He says in John chapter 14 and verse 31, But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise up, and let's go from here. So we see that humility is a necessary divine work of God to make me see that I am unworthy. We see that humility is the foundation of all other graces. But one more thing about humility, the poor in spirit. Humility generates within me a sorrow for sin. True faith produces an overwhelming sense of sinfulness. Remember King David, David of the Old Testament, the second king of Israel. In Psalm chapter 32 and verse 5, it's a psalm after David had committed sin with Bathsheba, after he had been confronted It's been about a year before David comes to his spiritual senses, if you will, before God gets him to a place of complete spiritual brokenness when he writes Psalm 32 and he says, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my heart. Those who refuse to turn from their sin give evidence that they have not experienced the transformation that takes place at salvation. The Apostle Paul, after his conversion, he expressed his attitude toward his own sin. In Romans chapter 7, verse 24, he says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? It's that same chapter where Paul would say in chapter 7 of Romans, the things that I know that I should do, I don't do. And the things that I know that I shouldn't do, boy, those things come easy to me. True believers desire what is right and what is pure. At the same time, true believers recognize the powerful force of sin in their nature, that it's still at work because they're not yet glorified. They know what is wrong in them. It's not a lack of self-esteem. It's not because they were mistreated by other people. It's not because of childhood drama. They recognize that it is sin in their life. Arthur Pink, in his little book, Profiting, Profiting from the Word, he writes this, 
quote, one of the surest tests to apply to the professed conversion is the heart's attitude towards sin. Where the principle of holiness has been planted, there will necessarily be a loathing of all that is unholy. If our hatred for evil be genuine, we are thankful when the word reproves even the evil which we suspected not. Wonderful quote by Arthur Pink. Humility generates within me a sorrow for sin. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And he continues that verse, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who come to the king in humility inherit the kingdom of God. God has graciously given the kingdom to those who humbly come to him and trust him. Sadly, There are many accounts in Scripture of those who came to the place of brokenness only to buck the Lord and go their separate way. There's probably no greater example than the religious leaders of Jesus' day. Those leaders were so consumed in their self-righteousness, they didn't need Jesus. They didn't need to be poor in spirit because they had it all together, spiritually speaking. My friends, God wants you to recognize your poverty so that he can make you spiritually rich. He wants to, he wants you to, to give up your kingdom so you can inherit his kingdom. The road to spiritual success. It begins with making sure you're a child of God and say, what does that mean? Let me give you an overview of what it means to come to Jesus by faith through his grace. It's called the Romans road. I recognize in my own heart that my true status before God, and that is I am a sinner. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Not only that, I own the penalty for my sin. Paul says in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, it's separation from God. I acknowledge that God loved me so much that he offers an alternative called eternal life. In Romans 6.23, the latter part of the verse says, But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I understand that God provided me his son, Jesus, as an atoning sacrifice for my sin. Jesus paid the penalty for my sin, Romans 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I claim the promise that God would accept my plea for forgiveness, Romans 10, 13. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Friends, I trust that you have recognized the indicator light of genuine salvation in your own life, and you've come to Jesus, because once you get on the road through salvation, you'll be on the road to spiritual success. Friends, I hope you'll join me next time as we talk about the indicator light of spiritual fruit. Thanks for joining us today.